mood to call people out today, so you might want to duck and cover. Um, the, like, like Stuart was saying, um, it used to be when we would do this at other times, I could group these questions together and kind of answer a bunch of them all at once, and I can't do that anymore. Time out one second. I, and Stuart's helping me fulfill that promise. Um, so, but I can't group these together anymore. And so you're, I may not get to your question if you wrote a question, and if that's the case, I, re, I apologize, but I'm going to do the best I can to kind of get to as many of them as I can. Um, and if this is your first time here, this is not the normal way that we do church. Typically, I preach... Um, somewhat exegetical sermons and kind of tell some stories in the process of explaining script, uh, biblical ideas. But I just uh, think that it's important for us to participate together. And instead of me doing all of the talking, this is a way in some way for you to have a voice in what we're talking about. So what I'm going to do is some of the ones I've just completely set them aside and they're going to become sermons. Um, and some of the ones that I don't get to today, I'm planning on hoping that I'm planning on turning them into sermons also but there were two questions that were very similar um, that were, had to do with, well, I'll just read them to you. The first one is, what is the responsibility of Christians in regard to the issue of refugees slash immigrants? And then the second one has some political undertones to it, and that's okay. We're a church that is strong in who we are as individuals and as a community, and so we recognize we're not going to agree with everybody politically, and that's okay. Because we have a bigger cause than our politics, which is our love of God and our love of each other. And so when we have a disagreement politically, that is perfectly fine. And we can still sit at the table together and enjoy being in one another's presence and move forward to serve this world in the name of Jesus Christ, right? We don't serve the world in the name of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or whoever. We serve the world in the name of Jesus. And so uh, if, if something I say today, you're like, huh, he's kind of tipping his hand on where he stands politically. Yeah, because I trust you enough to be adults and be able to understand like we may or may not agree on everything. And that's, that's perfectly fine, right? I mean, I'm okay if you don't agree with me. Are you okay with that? I don't agree with you? All right. So what is the responsibility of Christians in regards to the issue of refugees slash immigrants, which should not be political, by the way? And then this, that next question is similar to it. Why are Christians and churches who are conservative in their political leaning not more welcoming to refugees and immigrants? So I'm going to answer the, the pink card first. Leviticus 19.34, Deuteronomy 10.19. There are passages in Ruth. There are passages in the prophet Amos and the prophet Micah that God is saying that we as, as God's people should welcome the alien and the foreigner into our land and treat them as if they are us. There's no question about that. It's not really up for debate. So if you call yourself a person who is named and claimed by God and a follower of Jesus, there is no question of how we are to like, love our immigrant and refugee neighbors. Um, Jesus you may or may not remember, 
was a refugee, straight up refugee because of him. When he was born, his birth threatened Herod. And Herod decided that every child under the age of three that was born in the area where Jesus, every male child under the age of three, who was born in the area where Jesus was born in, was to be executed. And God warned Joseph in a dream to get the heck out of Dodge with Jesus. And so in the middle of the night, just like we've heard Nazi stories before, in the middle of the night, Joseph grabs Mary and Jesus and their other children possibly, because Jesus was probably about three at this time, and they booked it for Egypt. They went to Egypt as refugees and were welcomed there. Our job is to welcome people. Regardless of our political ideology, that's not our primary. If we find our identity in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or as an independent or whatever, we've missed it. We are to find our identity in Christ. So why are Christians and churches who are conservative in their political leaning not more welcoming to refugees and immigrants? I would just say this. Um, I think that's painting with a pretty broad brush. Because there are churches in this town, conservative churches like the Mormon Church and Heart for the World, that are really involved in the refugee ministries that we're involved in. And so I wouldn't be, I'm not comfortable saying that um, conservative churches and conservative people aren't welcoming of refugees. There does seem to be a little bit more fear of the other in conservatism. I'll just say that. But that's also a painting with a really broad brush. And so our job is not to worry about necessarily what other people are thinking about and doing. Our job is to take care of our own souls and our own hearts and do our own actions for the right motivation. And that's to glorify Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. There, if you wrote this question on the blue card... Um, there's a follow-up or an additional question to that that um, I just can't answer right now. I would love to answer it, but let's have a conversation. Um, it has to do with the Methodist Church and some issues within the Methodist Church, and I just don't think that everybody in this room considers themselves Methodist, so I don't want to waste everybody's time with that. Fair enough? Okay. If God always loves and forgives us, what is the incentive to do the right things and be good? That's interesting, and I think the Apostle Paul was dealing with this same kind of question in the book of Romans, because when he's talking about grace, Paul says, look, all the past sins you've ever committed, and all the sins you are currently committing, and all the sins you will ever commit are forgiven. They're, it's like it's done. They are already forgiven. Whether you've asked for forgiveness or not, through Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. So should we sin all the more? The answer that Paul says is, good grief, no, don't sin all the more. What should be happening in our lives is we should be creating space in our souls for the Holy Spirit to come in and do the work of transformation to where we can overcome with the power of the Spirit some of the sin that's in our lives. Now, one of the issues that we have in modern-day American Christianity is Christianity has been turned into a sin management program. 
And I think that has been really detrimental to our faith. Christianity is not sin management. It's not like, well, I used to do this, and because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm doing this now, and you just like grip and you try to force it to happen. What we do is we confess our sins, and we trust God to change us, and we do the work that we need to do, like our spiritual disciplines and being in small groups and talking with our friends and doing those things, and we are transformed in the process. But if we're gripping and everything we do is about sin, we're not going to do anything but sin. It's kind of like if you're walking down the aisle here and I go, hey, don't, don't, don't step on that. Don't, or I go, don't look at that. You're going to look. You know what I mean? Like what we have to do is get our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our souls focused on Jesus and seek first the kingdom and all these other things shall be happening. Um, but the incentive is our love. Think about in relationships that you're in, where you love the people you're in a relationship with, the incentive to do nice and good things for them is that you love them. You don't really need another incentive. If, if you're like, yeah, I'm going to do nice things for my wife, uh, I can't even think of how that would work. Like, the incentive isn't about love. You know what I mean. <laughs> if you don't understand, let's talk later. Um, there were some questions I wanted to get to specifically in this service. Oh, here's a, a really hard, deep theological one. Why are you a Chiefs fan? I'm a Christian. Uh, what do I do if I feel I don't like, if, uh, what do I do if I don't feel like God is a good, good father? We sing that song in this service sometimes, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, you're a good, good father. And this person is saying, what do I do if I don't feel like that? Well, my answer is, then don't feel like that. We have an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's a book of somebody lamenting, essentially filling out a complaint card to God. And there are times in our lives where we don't sense God's presence. There are times in our lives where we don't feel like God is doing what God should be doing. There are times in our lives where horrible things are happening and we don't know why or where God is in it all. And I think it's entirely appropriate and biblically based to fill out a complaint card and turn it in. And so if you're in that place where you're like, I don't know that God is good, then don't sing God is good. Fill out a complaint card. Literally write it down, write another song. Tell God in your head, whatever you have to do, it is a spiritual discipline that we have failed, we as pastors have failed to teach you and to talk about that it is necessary and appropriate to do sometimes, to lament. About one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. Jesus himself laments on multiple occasions, but the most notable is when he's on the cross and says, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not, my God, why is this happening? It's, why can't you see me? You have forsaken me. 
You don't even acknowledge my existence. That is a prayer of lament, and it's a completely appropriate thing to do. There's another question on this that I thought I, I, I want to answer is, why do we call God Father? Why not Mother or She? So this gets into the pronouns the way and the, the scriptures of God. And so uh, I'm being a little bit... <laughs> Don't, don't throw tomatoes and kill me when I say this, okay? The reason we call God he is because the Bible was written by men. You okay? Still with me? Okay. God is above gender and beyond gender. I don't think that it's quite appropriate to call God she and I don't think it's quite appropriate to call God he. God is God. And if you pay attention to my language, I rarely will use a pronoun for God. I'll say God's self. I'll say things like that instead of he or she. There is one little caveat. The Holy Spirit, the word that we use that we translate to Holy Spirit in the, from the Greek to English is a feminine noun. And so it would be appropriate in some instances for when we're talking about the Holy Spirit for us to say she. But if I started doing that, you know who would complain the most? The men. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it might be a good discipline for us for, uh, to, in our own personal lives to practice dropping off the pronouns when we're talking about God and just recognizing that God is God and God is indescribable and anything that we choose to describe God with falls short. And so we don't always have to use he. There are times, like there's a passage, uh, I'm trying to remember where it is. It's one of the prophets where it talks about God spreading God's wings like a mother hen and pulling in God's people. That's a great Mother's Day sermon, right? Like, I can see that in my own mom when my brother and I and all of our kids are around. She's kind of like a mother hen. She's like, oh, they've got it all. Everybody's right here with me. I can see them and make sure they're protected. And that's a great image for God. So it's not all masculine, y'all, which is also gender neutral. <laughs> What are your thoughts about universal salvation? Christ died for all, no matter what one believes. Y'all trying to get me fired or something? Um, the hardest paper I ever had to write in seminary was over this passage. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, to where uh, the author says, it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. The, or the faith in Jesus Christ is, is saving is like how it's translated. But that word in is the same word that we translate as of. So think about the difference that that would make. Faith of Jesus Christ saves us or faith in Jesus Christ saves us. That's in the Bible. And people who translate it have to make a decision on how they want to translate it based on all the other stuff in the Bible. And so I had to write a paper saying how I would translate it. And I wrote it both ways and then chickened out and turned in the easiest one. 
But here's what I think. I think we're going to be really surprised with who we see in heaven. And that it's not our job to worry about who's going to be there. It's our job to love people and not argue them into the kingdom of God, but love them into the kingdom of God. And it's our job to create as much heaven on earth as we possibly can because the book of Revelation says that there will be a day when heaven and earth collide. And so this is where we're going to spend eternity. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to be here. And so we're going to be shocked when we look and we're like, Stuart, I didn't know you were going to be here. <laughs> I'm not going to be shocked at all, Stuart. You're going to be up there putting bow ties on everybody and organizing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Throwing parties. John 3.16 says that Christ, uh, who so, uh, what, what does John 3.16 say? God so loved what? That. What's John 3.17? Not to, Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. I don't know the answer to this question, is the truth of it. I would love to stand up here and say, every person on the planet is saved. And I could make a biblical argument, I really could make a strong biblical argument for that. But I could stand up here and say, no, it's only people who have faith in Jesus. And I could make a really strong biblical argument for that. And I wish that I could answer this question for you. But the Bible says we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Like we don't, don't do it with an iron fist. Do it loosely and with fear and trembling. All right. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? If he is so peaceful, why does he allow wars? Um, God doesn't allow wars. People cause wars. We've been given free will, and we make decisions that bring evil, more evil into the world. I was having a conversation with a friend just this morning who spent time in combat, and does not think war is good. And this friend of mine was saying, I don't understand people who've spent time in combat and think that war is just fine. Because I don't understand how they've missed out on the evils of it. It's evil. And it's people who make evil decisions that bring evil into the world and cause bad things to happen. There are circumstances that just happen Haiti had an earthquake, and it almost leveled the nation. That has nothing to do with evil. Bad things happen to good people. Why? I have no clue. But here's what I know. God responds when that happens. And God's response is in the way God's people respond. So when you know someone who's had a terrible tragedy in their life, God's response to that tragedy is you and the way that you are there with them. You don't have to have the right words. In fact, you won't have the right words. We call it the ministry of presence, just being with people. And you may even say, like, I have no clue what to say or what to do, and I don't know how to help you, but I love you, and I, I just want to be here. And that's not enough. But it's enough. 
Um, these two questions kind of kind of go together. They're both about baptism. The first one is, what does baptism mean? Baptism, like pure and simple, means God loves you. God wants the best for you. God recognizes that there's death in your life and there's resurrection in your life. And we worship the God of resurrection and second chances. And that's what baptism is about. So when we baptize a baby, we're saying this baby is going to have death, but there is resurrection. There is new life that comes from that. And God is embracing this child and naming this child and saying, this is my child, child of God. And at some point, that child will reach back and hug God back. And in the Methodist church, we call that the confirmation process. When they confirm the decision that was made on their part and say, like, yes, I will love God back. So um, that's what baptism is about, and that's what it means. I, I preach about it, I feel like, every other week. You probably are like, no, it's actually every five minutes. But it's pretty important. It's, it's one of the things that we engage in that is an outward sign of an inward grace is the Methodist way of saying it. Does a, bab does a pastor have to baptize me if I want to be baptized? Nope. I don't have to baptize you. And here's an instance where I wouldn't. I'm going to keep using Stuart as an example. Let's say Stuart is a hermit who lives up in the mountains in a cave <laughs> or a hermitage of some sort. And word gets to me that Stuart wants me to go to the mountains and baptize him. And he just wants it to be me. I believe that we're baptized into a community. And so I wouldn't do it that way. What I would do is I'd say, hey, everybody, this friend of mine's a hermit up in the mountains and wants me to baptize him. So after church, we're all going to caravan to his hermitage and we're going to show up and I'll baptize him into this community. So I would say no to baptizing somebody just as an individual, but baptizing them into a community. I'm all about that. And I would never say no. The other instance is, as a clergy person in the United Methodist Church, I believe that there is one baptism in your life. Whether you were two days old or 99 years old, there's one baptism. And so there are times that people will come to me and say like, hey, Pastor, I was baptized when I was a baby or when I was eight years old or whatever, and I just don't remember it. And I don't think it, I don't consider that my baptism. Would you baptize me again? And I would say, I'll say no. What we can do is a reaffirmation of your baptism because that is your baptism. When it happened, it was a meaningful experience. And we don't understand everything that happens. There are mystical things that go on in this world, and we don't have to understand it all but we'll do a reaffirmation of it. And that's you being able to publicly say like, this is a meaningful time for me. Something new has happened. And I recognize resurrection in my life. And I realize I'm claimed by God and I'm a new creation. And so um, if you're in the room right now and you wanna be baptized today, I want to baptize you today. And if you're in the room right now and you want to reaffirm your baptism, I want to reaffirm your baptism with you today. So we'll end this service the way we always do with a song. And during that song, we'll have a prayer time and stuff. But you can come to me and say, like, baptize me today. It happened last week. Right, Mike? And um, it's an amazing thing. So if you're there right now and you're like, I know I was here last week and I was all nervous about it and didn't go forward, don't be afraid. And if you're here and like, I, sh I should have done that reaffirmation thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Let's do that today. The water's here. It's here every Sunday. All right. Please explain what the Holy Spirit is exactly. <laughs> I 
I promise that's the question. I read it like, like, it does say exactly. Um, I'm trying, I, I don't want to be trite in, in my response. The Holy Spirit, so I think we, we, you'll often hear me say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'll also hear me say in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. And when I say Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, I'm kind of naming what I think the Trinity does. And the Holy Spirit is our Sustainer. Jesus says, I'm leaving but there's an advocate coming for you, somebody who will speak for you and speak to you and sustain your faith when you're struggling and will give you power to do the things that you are called to do. So that feeling in your gut that says, I probably should go do this baptism thing, Holy Spirit. That feeling in your gut or in your mind or in your heart that is leading you in a direction that is good and wholesome and strength-giving Holy Spirit. That thing that's saying to you, you shouldn't be doing this, Holy Spirit. And the only reason you know that you have those feelings is Holy Spirit. So I can't explain it exactly, but I can explain that the Holy Spirit is our advocate and the Holy Spirit is our sustainer. I could do better in a conversation. But Roger's shaking his head like, good enough. Okay. Do you encourage meditation and how? And then what rhythms do you recommend incorporating into one's spiritual life to connect with God? One of the rhythms I encourage is meditation. <laughs> but it's not meditation. I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's meditation. Uh, in the 815 service, we practice centering prayer which is you put your feet firmly on the ground in front of you. You don't want to lay down and do this. The point is to stay awake. And so some of us need to exercise before we do this type of thing. And some of us need to do it right when we wake up. And some of us need to find another time during the day. But centering prayer is simply when you sit and you are still and you are silent and you literally try not to move and you just let your heart beat and your breath come and go and you recognize the presence of God around you. Here's the difficult thing about it. We are raised in a culture that tells us there's a correct way to do thing and a, things and an end, this is a means to an end. Centering prayer is no means to any end. Then there's no correct or incorrect way to do it. It's just being and recognizing that every breath we take is a gift of God and that God is with us. And when our mind starts to wander off to other things and places and stuff we ought to do, we use some sort of word, like I use the word Holy Spirit, to call me back to the moment that I'm in. And it's hard. But that's the way that I talk about Christian meditation. The other thing I used to say a lot, I'm not quite sure I agree with this wholeheartedly, but it's something similar. If you can worry, you can meditate. How many of you worry? Sinners. By the way, Jesus says don't do that. Got you! <laughs> um, um, so, but... <laughs> But if you're worriers, you definitely know how to meditate. So it's letting your mind focus on the things that are good and right. There's a pra another practice, spiritual practice, is the practice of gratitude. Like one of my favorite poets, her, uh, her name is Carrie Newcomer. She has a poem uh, called, I don't even remember what it's called right now, but she 
tries to write down three things that she's thankful for that happened that day every night before she goes to sleep. And her poem says, like, it ends up being 20, 30, 40, 50 things over time that she recognizes, I can be thankful for that, and I can be thankful for that. That's meditating on the good things that God has brought into our life in those days, even if it's decisions that other people made because God gave that person free will to make a good decision on our behalf. So yes, uh, those are good things. Last one. I may or may not play an instrument slash sing. Can I fit into the worship team? Michael has a thumbs up. What if you can't sing? What if I can't play the drums, Mike? So that's an inside joke between Michael and I. He's teaching me drums. So coming to a church near you in the next five years, your pastor might play drums some Sunday morning. Um, I think what Michael is saying, whoever wrote this question, uh, Michael is answering it for me. The answer is yes. And the truth of the matter is, we need people. And, And the people who sing up here would say, like, you should do this. And the people who play instruments up here would say, you should do this because there's something about being up here and leading everyone in whatever it is, a song, a prayer, a reading, a sermon, that it's like, it's good for your soul. And you're encouraged by looking out and seeing, I'm encouraged when I look out every Sunday and see your faces like engaged and and paying attention and seeing like how your lives are changing and talking to you about things. And you get the same experience by standing over here and seeing into one of the mics or back here playing an instrument. And so if you want to, we want you to. And if you don't want to, we want you to. <laughs> because it's a good thing. It is a good thing. And it's, it's serving other people in the name of Jesus. I often say, and this is the last thing, and we'll close out. Um, I often... Uh, want you, I often re- try to remind you, this is a worship service. It's not a worship experience. There's this whole thing that happens in pastor word where people will talk about, well, in our second worship ser- experience of Sunday mornings, like, what the heck, man? Like, we are here to serve one another. Whether I like the song or not, I'm going to sing it, and I'm going to sing it loud, because the people around me may need, they may, like, really connect with God through that song, and if I'm like, that's stupid, I'm not singing that then I'm not helping them. Now, I know that's contradictory to the good, good father thing, right? Like, but you know what I mean. If it's not a theological issue for you, sing it. Because you get to help lead other people in connecting with God. And if you're up here, you get to do so even more. So those of you who do play instruments, we would really appreciate you leading with us. And if you were a singer, we would really like for you to come up and help lead. But if you want to and you don't think you're good at those things, Mike's a good teacher. Like, for real, I I really am learning the drums. I wasn't joking. And it's fun. And Sean's back there saying, also in the sound booth. (laughs) I thought that was the red card, but it's right here flashing at me. Yeah, so talk to Michael, talk to Sean, talk to me, talk to Stuart, talk to Kathy. We have lots of ways for you to serve, and it's a good thing for your soul. That's one of the spiritual practices that I would, rhythms that I would recommend you getting into also, is serving.